Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You. This is Ellen Trackman here with Jennifer White. Hi. Jen, um, yes. Brief topic of the day before we go into our interview, um, okay. baby name. So whether you're just thinking about children in the future or you're much closer, what was your process for kind of thinking about what those baby names that that name oh. should be? It was hard for us because Ryan was, de- so, you know, after years of struggle, we found out I was pregnant and then Ryan found out he was deploying. So we didn't know anything and we had to like make all of these these decisions like super early before he left on deployment because we wanted to make sure we had a chance to actually have the conversation. So you decided um, before he left? Ooh. Yeah. So we had, and we had to decide both name, like a boy and a girl name because we also didn't know the gender of the baby at that point. Right. Uh, so and was it was it smooth? Like, were you guys pretty much in agreement, or was it not? So, uh, so boy name super easy for us. Um, girl name was actually really hard, uh, and of course, it ended up that we had a girl. So <laughs> right, that goes uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, it was like weird because like every name one of us we, like we had like a huge list, and then one like, of us being, oh, like, someone from high school had that. That's exactly what it was. It's like somebody yeah. I didn't get along with very well had that name, and uh, you know, yeah. like that kind of thing, or an ex girlfriend, or you know, like that kind oh, of right. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, the middle name for us was easy because we had a family middle name. But we also, I mean, so we ended up ultimately settling on a name that was also an homage to Ryan's name. So how we spelled it. So because it's it's Catherine, it was K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Since we knew this was probably going to be our only child. um, And if it was going to be a girl, then that was a nice homage to him as well. Hmm, So what about you? Um, You've had lots of practice at this. (laughs) We did not agree frequently. That was a problem. But, and and I totally respect everyone who was like, I, this is one of the few surprises in life. We waited. We definitely did not wait to find out um, gender or sex because we want to know to narrow down that argument pretty early on. <laughs> Welcome um, to a world of two attorneys naming a child, right? <laughs> yeah. But I feel like with, with even like with at least one child, we'd like decided on a name and like towards the end, like I was like, no, I don't feel it. And then we like had to like renegotiate and wow. And then of course, once you have a few, like it feels like it needs to go with it somehow. Like it needs to match. So you have like another criteria that's important and makes it harder. Right. Like right. the first couple were weirdo names, so we had to continue having weirdo names. So you're you're welcome, kids. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, okay, enough with our naming yes. process. So as always, uh fun interview. Um, I mean also hard and difficult like many journeys are. Yeah. Now we're talking to Aaron Crucial. Welcome, Aaron Crucial to the show. Aaron, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> and just to start out with something fun, um, tell us a fun fact about yourself. Um, so when I was due to be born, since we're going to be talking about birth and reproduction, uh, my due date was on St. Patrick's Day. Mm. And we have a large Irish American population near where I grew up in Western Massachusetts. And so we have a big, big, big St. Patrick's Day parade. And my father told me the parade was for my birth. So I thought we had a parade (laughs) on my birthday every year. I think I thought it was for me until I was about 12. (laughs) 
I, I still assume because I have a Labor Day related birthday that uh, Labor Day is for me. That's what I just assume. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm in my 40s and I assume that. So <laughs> that's right. delusions oh, wow. of youth. Yeah, parade. So exactly. do you still go go the parade and like right. a little bit think like, oh, maybe, maybe for me? Well, you know what? I have to tell you, I kind of do because there's also a road race that uh, takes place that time of year and I've run it for, I don't know, somewhere upwards of 25 years. And it is, it is kind of a big family thing and it's close to my heart. And, you know, the little tiny naive girl of me still thinks it's, you know, maybe they're playing those Irish bagpipes for yeah. me. <laughs> I love it. That is awesome. <laughs> we are honored that you so, came on yeah. willing to share your story. And for those who really like a visual and want to see your face, we'll go ahead and put it out there that you also did a TED Talk where you told your your story of conception, um, conceptions. Um, and that is another option for people to to hear about it. But we thought this is always a great a, and we'll a link great to way it to hear for those of us yeah. who love podcasts in the car, et cetera, and to feel less alone. So where to start? When when did you think you started thinking like, yeah, I want to have kids? And how how did that go? I think truly I never imagined that I wouldn't have kids. I was brought up, um, my mother's one of nine. And so we grew up close to my grandparents and cousins and aunts and uncles. And so there was always somebody having a baby. And I was thinking about this the other day and I always thought, you know, when I was really little, I wanted to be a pediatrician, then I wanted to be a um, teacher of kids. I, kids were just going to be in my life. Um, so I never didn't, I never imagined a life without children. And, um, when I went to college, I studied psychology and wanted to be a therapist working with children. I mean, so it was just always there. It was just an assumption. I think like a lot of people, you just assume when you want to have a baby, you get pregnant, you know, and we spend a lot of our time trying right. not to do that before we feel like I, I was going to say, <laughs> we're all told as teenagers, yes. just don't, don't touch, don't even look. Yeah. 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 So that's why I was there, to, you know, and I didn't realize that there was such a thing as declining for fertility and you know, no idea, no idea. So I was oblivious. Right. And kind of tell us how that arc went. So you went to college, then when, when at the point did you start thinking, wait, I don't want to, I want to try to stop not getting pregnant and maybe get pregnant? Um, well, so I got married, I was 30 and that was in 2001. And um, shortly thereafter was, uh, I think two years later, um, I remember very specifically uh, my uh, paternal grandmother passed away. And, you know, it's one of those moments that you think, oh gosh, life is short. You know, we, my husband and I, gosh, it's, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but we used to have this idea that we had a plan of a house first on a quiet, not busy street. Um then we'd have a baby. Then we'd get a dog. <laughs> I actually did a lot. They're like, "Oh no, we want we want kids, but we need the house first. It's definitely like the checklist. That's yeah. very common. Yeah, that was like our thing. We always talked house, baby, dog. Just so you know, <laughs> we don't even house, have a dog. dog. <laughs> uh, I love it. Like sounds like a mantra. mantra like, house, baby, dog. House, baby, dog. Yeah. House, baby, dog. House, baby, dog. Yeah. <laughs> and life is like. Oh. Right. <laughs> no, right. Except that's so <laughs> counter to my life advice about getting a dog. I always tell people don't get a dog when you're like until your kids are over five years old, just because dogs are like toddlers and babies on yeah. crack. 
Yeah. You know, it, they're hard. Yeah, so, I, you know, we're planners, we're thoughtful people, and we're Americans. And so we think, you know, we set a plan, we set a goal, we try hard and we get it. So um, at 32, I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's, you know, get rid of the contraception. Let's start trying. And literally like within a month, I'm like, I'm going to buy a what to expect when you're yeah. expecting. My brother was about to get married. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I won't even fit into my bridal, you know, my bridesmaid oh gown. My like, what am I going to do about that? And, um, you know, in retrospect, I was again, delusional, maybe there's a theme here, um, that it was going to happen quickly. And it didn't, it didn't, it didn't. And I met with my OB and she said, you know, okay, it's, I don't know, it's been six months or eight months, whatever. She's like, you know, just so you know, if this keeps going like this, you need to talk to a specialist. And I literally rolled my eyes at her. I had a good relationship with her and we'd been, I'd been her patient for a long time. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, my grandmother had nine children. My mother had me very young and then a brother. And then she got remarried and had, I have a 20 years younger than me brother. So it's just, there's just babies everywhere. I don't know what you're talking about. Why would you have any inkling that I would have trouble? She's like, okay, okay. Um, so of course she was right. And, you know, I, I don't know, a year passed and she said, you need to to look into this. Um so I had never had a regular periods. I had, you know, clockwork, 28 days, boom, 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 had it, you know, started having a period at 13. So there was never any red flags for me that there was going to be an issue in any way. And I think this is like a lot of people. Um, it sounds like you're you're healthy, you're a, run, you're a runner. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I, I, you know, I've always been, you know, sort of in the healthy BMI. I mean, there was no... Um, no red flags whatsoever. Um, it was just from my OB's point of view, it was, you know, you're 32. And in my mind, I thought, well, that's yeah, young. Yes. <laughs> you know, right? I had never seen those charts that, you know, have a very steep slope after 25. Um, well, they also don't tell people that necessarily like out in what they do, because they give you that 35. And so it feels like that that is like the steep moment. And so you don't realize that, okay, there, there's, there's gotta be a right. slope to get you to 35. <laughs> oh, I'll never forget looking at that chart yeah. when we met with a, so we went to the fertility clinic and I thought, well, all right, fine. We'll go do some testing. Fine. And we did. And it's like, okay, you know, your level levels are okay. Your husband's sperm looks rocking. I don't know here, let's try this Clomid. And, um, which is, you know, as you as you know, and I'm sure many of your listeners know, it's sort of like the gateway <laughs> drug to all things artificial reproductive. Right. Um, and so I'm somebody who doesn't like to take an aspirin if I have a headache. <laughs> I mean, just I can medi- meditate. So I totally have to ask because I ask this question to people, like I've asked it to other people, is how how did Clomid affect you? Um, you know, I think I didn't have a horrendous reaction to it. It was sort of like a really, really bad period in terms of mood and I think bloating. Um, but it was a long time ago, so I'm not real clear. I just remember for me, it was more the emotional um, toll it took on me that it's like, I need help. I'm taking meds because I can't do this thing that my body is supposed you know, if it's going to do anything in its life, this is the only thing it's supposed to do. Like, I don't need help. Don't tell me what to do. You know, so I had a real kicking and screaming reaction. I was not somebody who was like, oh, let science help me. I was really um, reluctant every single step of the way. So long story short, did did the, did the Clomid, didn't work. 
um, did some IUIs, uh, and I was terrified about IUIs because I had had a close friend at work get pregnant with um, twins, and they were born really early um, and had a variety of lung and eye issues, and it was the kind of thing that it was so dire we were not sure if we should buy gifts. It was, um, wow. you know, and I just kept thinking we are not meant to have litters. We are not, I don't want to just throw a bunch of sperm in there and see what happens. And so lo and behold, I got, I, I totally have, Oh, I say, no, go say, sorry. I was, I was actually, let me, before we give you the, what happens here, did you have, cause this is on a lot of people's minds right now, especially this time of year is legislation. Did you have insurance that covered any of that or is all this? No, we are in Massachusetts and Massachusetts kind of was one of the first. I knew, I just didn't know if that was during the time. Yeah. Yeah. And we were lucky that, uh, let's see my employment at the time or whoever's employment at the time was based in Massachusetts. So we didn't have any sort of like, oh, sorry, you don't qualify. So we were able to get coverage for this, which was huge. Awesome. You know, it was huge. Yeah. Um, so awesome. We, anyway, sorry. Result, results. Sorry. That was, that was just yeah, a side tape right yes, there. <laughs> thank goodness. We were very lucky because that is not the case for a lot of people. Um, so we did some IUIs and I, lo and behold, she's like, oh, there's three in there. So I was pregnant with triplets. <gasps> and my husband, who I'm not sure if he ever had held a baby before, was like, this is great. Oh, my God. We're like, what a death. You know, he's dancing around and I am just white. <laughs> I am so terrified. I'm so not, you know, I'm like mixed to most like, okay, this is great. We'll figure it out. We solve problems. But I am just terrified. So I kind of wrap my head around that. Um and uh, go in for follow-ups, that kind of thing. And they find out, and, you know, it's like things that are very big and important in your life. You remember bizarre details of them. And I remember it was a Friday and I went in and they did the ultrasound and they said, okay, um, two of them look okay, but one of them, the heart is no longer beating. And so I think, okay, well, you know, the, the two will be fine. They're they're separate um, embryos, um, so we should be good. They're like come back, came back on a Monday, and all three of them were gone. Um, there was no there was no more heartbeats, oh and that God. was probably around the ten week mark. So you know, at this point, I'm invested. I've got names. I'm figuring out how we're going to do that. You know, what did you what did um, you do that day? How do you handle right. that? It's so devastating. You know, I mean. And and I, I think yours is the audience that can hear the frankness of this, but we literally went home and I remember what time of year it was because there was these weird mushrooms growing in our yard and I was out for a walk. And as you know, when you're pregnant, your sense of smell can be enhanced and they smelled awful. Oh. And I remember thinking, I have death inside of me. You know, it's, I mean, this is so vivid and triggering, so I'm sorry, but, um, you know, you just, what do you do? Like, how do you process as someone who's been so desperate to get pregnant that it's like what you wanted so badly is happening, but then you lost it again. And I mean, as you can imagine, it was, we were, we were just devastated. And then when they said, okay, they're all three are gone. It was just like, okay, what, you know, I just, what cloud is over my head, you start getting superstitious about luck and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, wondering if I would ever be a mom, Mm -hmm. you know, would I ever be a mom? Like, how could I not be a mom? I'm meant to be, you know, I'm meant to be a mom in my mind. 
And, uh, you know, what does your husband do with you at that point when you are just, you know, I remember, <laughs> see, all these things are coming back. Yeah, you guys are good at this. Um, I remember we were watching Lord of the Rings. This is so, so goofy, but, um, and the main character is carrying this ring that is destroying him. And his good buddy says, I can't take it, the ring from you, but I can carry you. And I just felt like that was us. Like he couldn't take the pain away from me, but he could just be there. And we, we did okay. I mean, it, oh, you guys are Sam and Frodo. It's still in there. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, we just sat there and watched movies and just kind of were numb for a long time. And, um, you know, uh, somewhere in that process, I, uh, you know, so we had to, we had to go in. I, I didn't pass the pregnancy. So I had to have a DNC and oh. I have vivid, horrible memories about that and oh. the nurses and waking up from anesthesia, oh. Oh, sobbing wow. about my babies. It was just, you know, yeah, oh. just awful. Like every couple who's been through it, it's just stuff you never forget. You never forget. Um, right. So then we kind of composed ourselves and said, okay, what's next? And I am sort of a delusional optimist and every cycle I went through, I was sure it's going to work. I'm sure it's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. And we have pictures of me and I had this shirt that I would wear that said freakishly strong. And there's me with my like forced smile, like, yeah, baby, we could do this. <laughs> Whenever I would take a photo of my husband, he was just like <laughs> bags under his because <laughs> he just doesn't have a game face. Like, <laughs> so it was, it was killing us. Um, so, uh, you know, the doctor's like, okay, let's do IVF. Let's see if this can work. Let's try ICSI. Let's try, you know, whatever was available at the time. There wasn't genetic testing, which, oh boy, I wish I could have had that and avoided some of this. Right. Um, did a couple of IVF rounds that, despite the fact that I was on a really aggressive protocol, never produced a lot of eggs. But because I was terrified of, of multiples, I was like, well, that's fine. I didn't think that it was, wow, you're really responding poorly because they don't tell you that. Um, and they don't say, so, yeah, you're on the most aggressive protocol and you're not producing anything, you know, that I don't want to bring you down. But in retrospect, it's like, wow, I really yeah. was, something was, something was up. Um, yeah. And after a bunch of failed rounds of IVF, my doctor sat, me, sat us down and said, hey, you know, this is not working. Um, you've got fewer eggs. They're poor quality. Um, we don't know what it is. We don't know what caused it, but this is not working. And we need you to start thinking about don donor egg or adoption. And I just, I just remember like clenching the sides of the chairs because it felt like someone physically punched me. And I remember having all this anger at the, this poor doctor who had to deliver this completely devastating news and thinking, you're wrong. There's nothing wrong with me. I don't have a tumor. I don't, there's, you know, there's nothing you can say that's wrong with me. You, we just don't know. And you're, we're not trying hard enough. We'll keep trying, you know, cause I will, you know, collapse in exhaustion before I say, let's try something new. And, um, meanwhile, my husband's like, whatever, let's just be parents. He's a little bit uh, less, I don't want to say emotional and be sexist to myself, but <laughs> that's the truth. He's, he can be a little bit more um, logical in his decision-making, even in a, in a crisis where I was just like so angry and took it so personally that my body is not working. I can make it work. 
again, like we're Americans, we work hard and we solve problems. And that's sort of where I was at. So I just dissolved into a puddle at that point in my life and uh, ended up, you know, I was doing all the right things like yoga and I had a therapist and all this, but I was depressed. And um, I remember talking to someone, uh, a psychiatrist and saying, you know, I am doing everything on the checklist and I just couldn't stop crying. And he said, yeah, you're, you're doing all of the right things. Like you are depressed. You should be depressed. Someone who has been through this process for years and years and years at this point would be depressed. And um, I ended up um, deciding to go on medication and it was felt like yet another failure when in my logical brain, I know, well, obviously if you can get some help and you know, whatever, but at the time it felt like yet another failure. Uh, Meanwhile, my husband was frantic searching for the most, you know, who's the, at the cutting edge of science, you know, we can travel to Boston, we'll go to New York, we're going to solve this problem. Um, so we got a second opinion with um, a group out in Boston, found a doctor who was at the forefront of the science, brought our giant file of, you know, from over the years, he took a look at it and said, yeah, she made a good recommendation. This, I would have, I would have said the same thing. Um, oh, And you're like, that was not what I wanted to hear. (laughs) You know, but at that point we were so exhausted. It was like, okay, we needed, we needed to hear this. We needed this. And he said, I will give it one more shot with your eggs. Um, Maybe a different protocol, maybe a different, you know, so like, okay, okay. You know, we'll give it one more shot. Um, So we did that, you know, went through some other, I don't even remember the protocol, some other aggressive, horrific box of drugs that I had to inject into my body for however long. Um, And every time I got that box, I would sob. I would just have to have, okay, here's the box. Here's the UPS guy. I'm going to sit down and cry that I have to do this when other people get to just have sex. And, um, you know, felt optimistic. We drove, you know, two hours for, you know, 10 minute ultrasounds back and forth and had all the hope in the world. And then I remember coming out of the anesthesia and they said, we got one, we got one egg. And um, so when we went back in, you know, it made, I think it made it to day five, it fertilized, we had an embryo, they put it back in. And um, I always remember walking out going, well, technically I'm pregnant now. Right. Pregnant until you know, proven otherwise. Right. For, yeah. 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 I mean, it might be for a couple of days, but I'm technically there's, you know, a living embryo in me. Um, so I did get pregnant um, with that embryo. Unfortunately, after probably a similar time frame and somewhere in the first trimester, they went back and they, you, you know, after you've been through this for years, you just look at the text space and you can see she's like, oh, God, I got to deliver bad news. And she didn't even say it. And we're like, there's no heartbeat, is there? So we had another miscarriage. And at that point, it's just, uh, I'm done. I'm just, I was done. Um, We were able to bury um, that pregnancy in our backyard. And we have a beautiful um, Japanese maple. And I, to this day, I look at it and think, I remember looking at that, wondering if I would ever be through this. Would I ever, ever get through this? Would I ever be a mother everyone's pregnant around me. I don't want to talk to anybody because I'm such a bummer. I'm so Debbie Downer. I either lie or I fake it. This is just, I can't even function. And I was also in between jobs. So I was just a train wreck. Um, 
so uh we had to wrap. You said you were done, but you you weren't done. Yeah, I mean, I feel I get that feeling. Yeah, but then you're just. I feel like with time, and you're like, no, I want to try something else. Yeah, and so we were at there. We were there with a follow up, and my husband was literally like taking notes on some paper after that miscarriage. And the back page, the back of the note, excuse me, that he had written was on a brochure for Resolve New England. They have a conference a couple times a year for couples who are thinking about donor egg and adoption. Um, and so we brought it home and we're like, yeah, you know what? This is super raw, but maybe we need to just go listen. Maybe we should just go listen. Um, and we, it was super raw. We were just in a dark place with lots of swear words and, right. <laughs> you know, we, we get to this conference and it's a small room and some people are like, we've been trying for six months. And we were like, Right, (laughs) you know, and I always say to people now, it's not the pain Olympics, but it's like we felt like we won the pain Olympics. (laughs) Um, And there was, you know, there was good information about how you adopt, how you deal with donor egg. But to us, the most useful piece of that day was um, a panel of really generous couples who had had their children via adoption or egg donor. And we just got to pepper them with questions. Um, and that was really profound for us because what were your main questions? Well, for me, it's like coming from this huge family and, you know, when someone has a baby, they say, who do they look like? And, oh my gosh, you know, you've got your dad's legs and you've got your mom's brain, you know, like that was so part of our culture and our family. And Mm -hmm. I said, how do you process that loss? How do I have a baby that's not my genes? Like, how does my family stop with me? And my parents were divorced and I still haven't quite clearly figured this out, but somehow there was a more dire need for me to continue my lineage. Maybe um, that it was just like this, I'm it. Like my brother and I, you know, we're it. And, uh, you know, this baby's going to be a teenager and she's going to be on this, you know, I had this whole scene and she's going to be on the stairs and we're going to fight. She's like, you're not even my mom. Like, how do I wrap my head around this? And, um, you know, they all had great, factual, thoughtful answers, but I was not in a place to believe them. I said, of course you have to think that. That's, you know, that's your life. Of course you have to convince yourself this is fine. So I think at some very base level, it was helpful to like voice those questions, have them answered, but I still was not in a place to really wrap my head around seeing myself in that role, seeing myself as I'm going to have a family and I am going to be different on purpose. Because I am not much of a rule bender. I kind of like people to like me. (laughs) You know, I want to just kind of blend in and help other people. And it's just like, I am going to just like rock the boat and um, just have this family that's like made up of other woman's, another woman's, you know, egg. Like I, how, what are people going to think of me? Are they not going to feel like we're normal? Like I just... It was hard for me. And it's ironic because my husband is very different from that. He was like, hey, we adopt. That's cool. We get used donor egg, donor sperm. That's fine. We'll be parents. Um, So it took more for me to really be settled with it. 
um, eventually I did get there. And I think it, a big part of it was the see, meeting these other people. Um, one of which who then said, Hey, if you ever get to the point where you really need to think about this, you're welcome to come to our home. And we took them up on that opportunity. Um, and I mean, how generous they've got two little kids and they're like, come on over. You super sad. We're <laughs> just going to observe us. Like, but you know, I mean, it was so, so thoughtful. Um, and we did, and it was, I mean, this sounds so bizarre to say in retrospect, but I was like, oh, you know, they're just telling their kids to pick up and like, are you yelling at them for not being polite? And it's just like anyone, any other family, like there's not really anything special going on here. Um, And I think that's when I really was like, okay, okay. They're just parents. They're worried about being parents now. Like this whole donor egg thing is a, is a tiny, tiny side note, mostly in their past. I, I, okay. I guess, I guess we can try this. That's awesome. So where did you go from there? Yeah, so we we did we did from there um, meet with our local infertility uh, infertility clinic. Um, they actually met with don- potential donors, and I felt really comfortable with that. So we met with the nurse. We did our screening. Um, we filled out bizarre questionnaires about what <laughs> priorities we had, which I always think is funny because you don't think about yeah. those things when you're having sex. You would say, oh, does your third cousin removed have alcohols? Like nobody, you know, we all have bonkers families. Like you don't think about these things and suddenly you have to check a box or not check a box. It's surreal. Right. Um, and then, of course, I find myself like on these websites and I'm like picking out women. I'm like, oh, she does yoga and look at her dark skin. Like, I'm just right. like, this is it's yeah. surreal and it's just weird. Um, but eventually we came up with some criteria, mostly around health and um, said, OK, see if you can find a match. Um, they called us up one day and said, we've got a match for you. And you know, cue the opening of the storm clouds. Like I literally felt uh, like, okay, wow. we can, you know, this could be it. Um, and I'm a, at this point I'm, I uh, had started a photography business and I had a showing down in Connecticut and invited a bunch of friends. Cause you know, they're the only ones that are going to go look at your stupid art. <laughs> and I had a cousin of mine. She's, I guess, her mother and my father were first cousins. So that were something, something removed. And she came up to me in the middle of the show and said, I heard you're looking for some eggs. I'm not that tall, but I have really good SAT scores. Oh, I'm not wow. that tall. That's adorable. Oh my God. <laughs> and I mean, the it was like a cartoon where the room was spinning. I mean, literally, sp- I'm like, no. No, does she know she should not do this? She should not do this. And then I'm like, she's perfect. Oh my God. You know, she's a a third cousin of ours that's just, she's brilliant. She's thoughtful. Her family is lovely. Um, And there was this genetic connection. It was too good to be true. You know, within literally within days of us getting an uh, anonymous donor. So I just felt like we won the lottery. And um, so we, sat down, met with her and said, okay, here are all the risks. Um, they're real. They're, this is surgical. This is, you know, there, there's just so many um, emotional implications. We, you know, we're going to still see you. Our family knows each other. You know, it's just, this is big. This is a giant, giant decision on her part. 
and she, you know, is a lawyer, so she knew the um, legal implications. She was getting married to a doctor, so she clearly understood the medical implications and risks. So she really was an ideal candidate and uh, just a, you know, just an amazing human to say, I'm going to take these risks for you to help you um, have a family. So we couldn't scare her away. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> she had some rock and eggs, man. <laughs> she had like, I think she had 22 that she had. And that's when I was like, oh, wow, that's what's supposed to happen when you're young and in your 20s. Wow, I just talked for a long time. No, you're great. No, we love it. We're, ha- we're hanging on every word of it. Keep going. Yes. Yeah, so. I already know the story. No. Oh my God. We're loving it. Uh, so 22 oh. eggs. So I, right. how, how many embryos did that turn into? Because I know that eggs don't, don't turn into embryos always, right? Right. They don't. They don't. But, you know, from my perspective, it was like, oh my gosh. So I think we, we ended up with two. We ended up two embryos that made it to day five, um, which I was like, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and um, she did well. She did well through the whole treatment. She didn't have any really adverse reactions, which was wonderful. Um, we met with a social worker and talked about like, how are we going to do this going forward? Because this is, you know, I didn't know anybody who had fessed up to doing IVF, let alone donor egg. Um, so this was like, wow, we are just clearing a new path here for everyone I know and our family. Like, are we going to talk about it? Are we not going to talk about it? Blah, blah, blah. So we've kind of said, all right, let's go. And um, and are you comfortable sharing what those decisions were? Oh, God, yeah. We're I like, mean, you must tell be. anybody you a in TED the street. Talk, right? I mean, <laughs> I did a TED Talk with a room full of hundreds of people on purpose. <laughs> Just parked it all out right. there. Yeah, but we, but yeah. we don't yeah, tell so our we, family. No. Yeah. yeah. Tell us so, the families um, of the TED Talk. Yeah, we're all open about it. And, um, well, and, and one of the reasons that I was really adamant about that and very comfortable with that is um, – Growing up, I had a really good, good friend who was adopted. And the things that she didn't know about her birth story just had a huge impact on her life. And I thought, you know, and I I remember very specifically, I said, it's going to be harder for me to have a known donor and have, wow, maybe my kids will like her better, but it'll be better for them. There won't be any unanswered questions. There won't be any what ifs. And if they want to learn for, about her, here, this is where she is. And I just have to kind of suck it up because it could be her. It could be a teacher. It could be anybody who could be like a more awesome person than me in my child's life. So I just need to get over that. We had a good social worker who said, you know, you're going to need to practice your story to your baby before they can even understand it. Yep. And it's a good social so worker. You can get, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and I did, I literally, so um, I'm kind of jumping to the thing here, but so I got pregnant and that was my first daughter. The first embryo we put back um, is my little girl, Tierney. So did you, and I mean, just to kind of, since obviously you had some of those scares and things like that, was that even when you were pregnant, how triggering was it to get to like the 10 week point and things like that? Like, oh, I was a trainer. I was, I was so sure that she was, you know, there, yeah. I was like, okay. Okay, what week is it? What week is it? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I, there's part of me that's always like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> so there's those battling, you know, you know, I just read a study recently about how most people who are going through infertility have this like defense mechanism where we say, well, you know, when it goes wrong. And that's just kind of what we do naturally to try to 
shield ourselves from bad news, but it doesn't work. Yeah. No, it doesn't. <laughs> they did all this research and it totally doesn't make you feel any better when you do that, which I wish I'd read that before, but I, you know, I did it. I said, okay, if it doesn't work, this is what we're going to do. But, um, it, but it worked and I had a good pregnancy. Um, I was really, 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 really nauseous from all the extra meds you have to be on all the extra hormones when you're doing donor egg. Um, but the pregnancy went fine. My birth was another story. She was kind of stuck. Um, <laughs> but uh, she was born and healthy. And um, she was a little moose. She was a big, big, big baby. And, um, you know, I remember holding her thinking, <laughs> does she look like our donor? Does she look like her? You know, and are people going to think? I remember even being nervous then. And I remember being pregnant thinking it was going to be a mini. I knew it was a girl. It was going to be a mini version of our donor. Yeah. Because I couldn't think of anything else. Right. You know, I knew it was a girl, wasn't going to look like my husband. Um, and I think I've, I've met so many people who've gone through this process. And that is what I think we all get fixated on is what are they going to look like? Who are they going to look like? Yeah. So I, I was not, I was not uh, beyond that sort of obsession of, is she going to look just like Marie? People are going to say she looks like Marie and I'm going to feel less than. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fascinating. Well, I think that kind of dissolves once you, and this is exactly what the people at that, you know, Resolve New England uh, panel said, you know, you eventually are up at two in the morning and you're like, does my baby have asthma? Do we need to go to the ER? How am I going to do this? Am I going to go back to work? You are just so bombarded with motherhood that all oh, that stuff, it's like, oh yeah, there was this way we got here, but it's... I say to people, it's kind of like the college you never got into. Like, oh yeah, once that was so devastating, all my friends are going to Boston College, but not me. And then it's like, oh yeah, whatever. Right. Um, yeah. You just move on and then it's your life. And um, I felt like we were, we were, we were okay. We were just, we were, we were parents. And, you know, sometimes I would have to, you know, we'd go to the doctor and they would sit, ask about genetic history and I could contact Marie. And I was very lucky about that, but that's when I'd remember, you know, otherwise it's just, you're a mom and you're like, oh my gosh, this baby is depending on me. I better like figure this out because parenthood is crazy <laughs> and overwhelming and for, for anybody. Um, and I think that as somebody who's gone through infertility for a long time, I mean, that's another thing that I wish I wish there was more research on this, but I think it's different for people who have had the the trauma, and it is trauma for a lot of people who have had multiple miscarriages and trying to redefine what their body is going through infertility that it can't even do this fundamental function, and then you are a parent like it because it, it, it happens fast. Mm -hmm. Like you are knee deep in the trauma of infertility and then all of a sudden you're pregnant and they're like, see you later, go to your regular OB and okay, you're just in with regular old pregnant people and in your, uh, you know, how to have a baby class and then you're just a mom. At right. But you're still carrying the weight of that trauma with you as you go. Yeah. Are, just because you got the prize right. doesn't mean that trauma went away. And I think that as, you know, for me, I you know, probably struggled a little bit with postpartum depression and also just anxiety of, you know, is something going to happen to her? Is something going to, is this all going to just evaporate? You know, this is what I wanted so badly. Is this going to, am I going to mess it up? I mean, you, you know, breastfeeding and that's a whole 
challenges that come with that. I mean, it's, I think there's something, it's a different experience for, for a lot yeah. of people who went through IVF. So you, you definitely, you obviously talked to Resolve New England before you got pregnant. When did you start to become more involved with their support groups and things like that with Resolve New England? How did that help you through this? Um, so I had had that, we had that one, uh, seminar that we went to, uh, but I did not attend any ongoing support groups when I was going through with it um, for those years, which which it was 10 years before we had both our kids. I mean, it was a lot. It was, you know, I like to think I could have had a PhD in that time, but instead I was depressed. <laughs> you know, it's just a huge, chunky relief. If you had known, if you had known about support groups, would you have gone? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm a yapper. Can you tell? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a very social person and I process things out loud with other people. That's just how I get through stuff. And um, I just didn't, I had one friend who was going through IVF and she was like a lifeline, um, but nobody else had been through it. Everybody else had kids, you know? And so I'd just be like the sad sack at the shower going, it's fine. It's fine. You know? So I wish I had had a group to be like, oh my God, how are you doing this giant intermuscular shot? Like when my husband's gone, how are you like reacting to this Clomid? How are you, you know, just, just the shorthand that people going through it can, can not even support each other, just commiserate without, with shorthand is so beneficial that you just don't feel like you're a crazy alone person. Like I really did. I really, it was just like, I'm just broken and I'm crazy. So, so anyway, so I, I, I had my oldest Tierney and um, then I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know, I think I'm in a place where I can be a peer group leader. There's nothing out here in the less populated Western part of the state of Massachusetts that has groups. I could do it, you know, like I could do it. And um, so I, um, started a group through through the Resolve New England, and um, in the process, I was also trying to get pregnant with my. We wanted a second, so I just thought, oh, we've got this other embryo. Boom, 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 done, 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 and of course, it didn't work. Oh. That was, you know, it's like, oh, here we go again. With you know, you think oh, my my black clouds returned. Um, Did you ask Marie again, or was that that was well? At that point, she had already been married and was planning on her own family, so that wasn't an that wasn't an opportunity we had. Uh, But we were a little full of ourselves at that point because it went so well with our first donor. And I thought, what about the other side of my family? What about my mom's side of the family? There are just cousins Uh, of the. That's the good thing about having a big family, right? You have so many people to ask. It really, it, it is an Were you like, discreetly asking about <laughs> discreetly asking about SAT scores of various cousins. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that is a, um, a something that is just very, I think, unique to our giant family. And so uh, I kind of was going through our cousins, and I thought, oh gosh, there's one who um, she's because they. I mean, you can only donate eggs in a very short window. So there was one person in particular um, that um, you know I was close to her. She's smart and funny and just a fabulous, generous human being. And so we, we asked her and she said, yes. And, um, so I thought, well, you know, all the things that I had wanted in a donor, it was the same thing. It was a genetic line that I could, you know, kind of call mine. And also if there was medical questions, I could go back to that person 
we saw this person. We love this person. She also loved my daughter dearly. Um, so it was like, this is, this is, I hope, you know, we hoped, hope, hope she, she would do it. And she did, she did. And it just, I don't know. It's just, I, I, it is not the path I had intended in my life. It is absolutely not. And I don't kind of look back on it in a Pollyanna way, like, Oh, you know, some people feel like these were the babies I was meant to have. Um, it's just, I would have never had hoped to go through this. I wish I hadn't gone through this, but, um, that was what we had for options. And these are my babies. These are the only babies I've ever will have. And I can't imagine that they didn't exist always. You know, it's, there's not uh, Oh, what about those babies that I didn't have? I don't really think about that. And I also feel like, gosh, there's these two other women that helped us at a time when we were so down in the ditch. And what a lovely conception story for my girls. So, so loved mm -hmm. by so many you know, people. like yeah. you were so wanted. And we joke about it. I always say you were hiding for so long. And <laughs> I say to my five-year-old, and I said, where were you? And she makes up elaborate Aww. stories about where she was. And like, looking for you for so long and you know and auntie marie and auntie kelsey helped us you know they gave us some cells and so there's these two other women who have um you know not a direct invest well i guess it is a direct investment but they just have a connection and i'm okay with that you know it's like god how great for my girls to be like all these people care about me and helped bring me into this world. Like, yeah, it's completely weird. It's completely <laughs> crazy and unprecedented, but I don't know. It's a really positive story as opposed to like, oh, you know, the variety of other not so lovely ways that people can be conceived. Yeah, no, absolutely. So as you, so obviously, I mean, you've talked about, you have a second, you went through a second donor, you ended up, did you go through one IVF cycle? How, how easy was it that second time? Uh, the second time we um, went back to Boston, we, we ended up doing the, the cycles through Boston just because of our donors were in that area um, and it was more convenient for them. And, you know, I would have gone to the moon if it was convenient for them at that point. <laughs> and so we, yeah, so our second donor went through the process. It was, went okay for her. Um, we transferred the first embryo and it did not work. So at that point we're like two two embryos did not work in between. And then the second frozen embryo did work. And that is my little Aww, pumpkin, yay. Elizabeth. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. And just, you know, cause I know people who like are thinking about donor egg, everybody like wants to, well, do, who do they look like? And we, because we have our own little science experiment in our home, <sighs> um, it's just interesting. And again, it's like one story, but uh, my oldest is a female version of my husband on so many levels. <laughs> um, and I've even asked our donor, I said, do you think she looks like you? And they're like, nope. <laughs> uh, and then my little one is so much like our donor and her mom, um, just appearance wise, sense of humor, um, just things that I would have never before I had children believed were genetic. Never, ever, ever. I was a psych major. It is about parenting. It has nothing, you know, like you can, no, no, no. Mm. I can, 
it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's wonderful. I mean, they're very, very different kids, like all siblings. Um, but uh, it's just interesting because when I see people going through the forms of what they want to pick out for genetics, I, you know, I say it's like rolling the dice. Like you can yeah. check off things till your heart's content, but yeah. genes are a funny thing. And we don't have a full handle on how they work. And it's not the uh, blue eye and brown eye gets a brown right. eye like I learned in school. Um, it's very complex. And the, you know, I always tell my girls it takes a sperm and an egg and a uterus to have a baby. And so when you're in that uterus, you're getting a bunch of stuff from that mom. And, you know, I don't think we have a full handle on the um, impact that that has as well, because um, that's significant in terms of turning on and off genes for diseases. So you just don't know. You just don't know what you're going to, what, what someone's going to look like. Interesting. So you were leading support groups while you were going through your own retrieval for a donor, for an IVF cycle, for everything else. How, how was that? Um, I, I, it was, it was uh, helpful because I had been through it. I had a child. Um, so I wasn't in the complete depressed you know, like treading water state that I was before. I was like, okay, this is going to be hard, but now I know what to expect. Yeah. Um, and I know that the statistics are in my favor at this point. Yeah. Um, and it was nice to finally have some other people to be to, to shorthand it with and to be like, oh my God, I'm having an awful day. No one understands. Or I have to go to this baby shower. What should I do? Or my relative said this insensitive thing to me. I was okay. I was okay. Um, we ended up having some other family stuff go on. I, my father developed a brain tumor, um, glioblastoma in the middle of all this. And, um, like for, he had to have this tumor removed and I was at a hospital in Boston and I was on my cycle. And uh, I'll tell you those people, those med people, like I called them up. I'm like, look, my father's getting a piece of his brain taken out. I'm in the middle of a cycle. I don't have my meds. They're like, meet me in the alley. So I'm out <laughs> in the back. <laughs> getting a brown paper bag from like some random guy. Oh my God. That's and awesome. Go up, and, go up into the hospital and I'm like, well, there's nurses everywhere. Can you take this giant needle and stick it in my butt? <laughs> right? Wow. <laughs> oh, it was a bad time. It was a bad time. And I mean, it was awful and traumatic. And I had to like hand over the group to a, a friend of ours at that time because yeah. I just, I was not in a place to be supporting other people because I was uh, trying yeah. to figure that out. You know, I mean, I, ugh, it was just ugly. It was ugly on a lot of levels. Yeah. Wow. Um, so uh, tell us about, I mean, I know we're kind of been touching on Resolve and you said you, you backed out at that point, but obviously you've backed back in. And I mean, because Resolve has had a huge, huge impact in your life and in other people's lives. And I mean, I just would love to explore, like, especially from your perspective as as leading a, a support group that I, I know you've you've alluded to it and, and talked about it, just but the, the shorthand part and things like that. But what other huge things should people, because like I, I said to you, I think I said it before we got on the air that like, I did not realize how many support groups there are in Colorado because people don't talk about the fact that even the, these groups exist. And so it's right. like, I, I'd love to bring awareness that, Hey, this, this is, it, and it's not just about the shorthand. What, what else is it that people can, can get out of this and why should they be seeking this out? Um, 
Yes. And I, you know, Jen, I have the same urge right now because I just, I have a lot of energy. Both my kids are in school and I'm like, I need to do more with this. I can't not. <laughs> and I'm like, I need to get on television. I need to, you know, like, how can I let more people know it's out there? Because I just right. remember going in, lying to my employer, being depressed, looking at an old magazine beside about 20 other women. Yeah. And I remember so vividly thinking, we're not even talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And we're all in here for the same reason. This is so awful. And I remember telling the nurse, I said, someday when I'm done with this, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do something with this. And um, I do. I have that urge right now to share it because I think that it's just a, a, a lack of awareness. People don't realize when... I think a lot of people are like my situation where they don't realize they're going to end up in this situation. Very few people have some kind of reproductive issue that they know once they get ready to have kids, they're going to need to seek fertility treatments. So you get blindsided and then you think, oh, well, it's just, I'm just going to go in, you know, like I did probably, I'm just going to get tested. They'll figure something, I'll be fine. And it just kind of takes over your life and you're lying to your employer. You're not telling your friends you're in a, um, a tough position in a tough mental place that, um, you know, you may or may not like say, Oh, I need some help. Cause you think I'm just going to be in this for a little bit. Um, so I think the more we can kind of pepper the public with, yeah, this happens to millions of people. Yeah. Like the last statistic I saw, it was like 7.4 million women have had infertility services in their life. Wow. And you You were, before we got on, you said, gave me a stat and sorry if I don't remember it because I have a little bit of a goldfish brain about how many children had been born via assisted reproductive technologies in in a spam. Yeah. I just ran across this between the years of 1985 and 2017, 1 million I'm going to read the whole number. (laughs) (laughs) 1,204,594 babies. That's insane. I mean, that means how many people are not alone? How many people are also going through this? Yeah. And one in eight couples. It's like you think, who are your friends that are couples of childbearing age? Who's the one who's like always like so good with kids? And "Hmm, I wonder why they don't have babies. Or the person at work, I would say, who's like, you know, crying in the car or going on a lot of doctor's appointments or your friend who's like, oh my gosh, they would be such a good mom. You know, it's like, you know, somebody, we all know somebody and they just don't want to talk about it because we all, like myself, have the fantasy of we're having a boy. Right. No, and for some people, it just doesn't happen. Right. And then people don't talk about it afterwards either. You know, I, I right. had, had this conversation with Barb Kalura a couple of times about guilt. You know, you, yes. you have survivor guilt afterwards as well. Yes. And, and she finally looked at me, at least gave me some language for it. She said, you're resolved. She said, that doesn't mean that your story isn't valid. But she said, right. you resolved it, it but yeah. it doesn't make it go away. And I was yeah. like, it, oh, you know, it's, it, but that's what these things are for too, right? You have to keep talking right. about it afterwards. Right. Right. There was a great, there was an article, I think it was in the Times. I'm not going to get the name right, but it's this woman who does um, like a blog or a podcast about the broken brown egg. It's about women of color and infertility. And um, she wrote this article, I think it was in the Times, about um, the lasting effects of infertility. And I think the phrase she used was, just because you got the prize doesn't mean all that trauma disappears. Yeah. And... um, yeah. So I think 
you know, and as somebody who's running a group now, I always think, you know, cause I, I just want to think I can like help people. You know, we all like to think we're helpers, but it's like, I can't help you get a baby. You know, I'm not a fertility specialist. I'm not even like a patient advocate. I don't have an MSW or a PhD in psychology. All I can do is provide a space for people who are also going through it that it's like, I'm not by myself. And, and sharing our struggles is you just feel less alone and having a community is how we all get through things. It's how trauma is, it's, it doesn't go away, but it's, it's, I don't know. I'm not being very eloquent here. No, you're great. I say from my perspective, it's huge. Those things did not exist when I, I went through infertility and it was, you know, so that's why I'm now like shouted out there. Let's, let's get people out. Let's, let's let people talk about these things. I mean, I always think about when you talk to your friends about like, you know, if you've had a miscarriage or they've had a miscarriage, I am always so bold over at the detail that they can remember. And it's like, that's trauma. You know, that's, you know, as you, as you think about when traumatic incidents in your life, you're like, oh, and they had a red shirt. And like, for me, it was like, it was a Friday and they told me, go home and we'll see you on Monday. And I remember the movie we watched and I remember the time of the year and the gross mushrooms. And, you know, it's like, (sighs) you know, 15 to 20% of known pregnancies are ending in miscarriage. That is so many of us, Mm -hmm. you know, and we go home and it's like, if I was in a, you know, if my dog died, people at work would send me flowers or a card. But if I have a miscarriage, nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody's sending me flowers. I don't get to process it out loud because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and make them feel bad. I mean, it's just, we're all, we're experiencing that so many of us are experiencing this and normalizing something changes it. It changes our feelings about it. You know, I, I, I get triggered still. And, and, you know, I've got a 10 year old and I am just knee deep in mom dumb, but I still get triggered when I go to the grocery store and see headlines of so-and-so having a baby in their forties and fifties, not because I don't respect someone's right to privacy. Absolutely. But I just think to myself, gosh, if that was me, I could use that platform I have to normalize. I used an egg donor and it's fine. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Let's talk about it. Or I had a miscarriage and I'm on, I, you know, I had to end up on antidepressants because I feel like I can't even do this one thing that my body is meant to do. Yeah. Like, let's talk about it. Yeah. 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 Well, we appreciate so much that you are willing to talk about it with us. And I mean, obviously with, with whoever our with all of our listeners out there and also with everybody just on your local basis level. Cause I know that is so impactful to, to them as, as part of those groups. So thank you so much for everything you do. And we appreciate your openness and your rawness and, and that you were willing to come <laughs> Hopefully and talk this, to us. this podcast will make someone feel a little less alone. I mean, just you tell your so. stories. I hope so. You know, there's just, I always think there's just somebody out there crying in their car, cleaning up before they go back into work. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So That's thank you. Exactly. We're going to reach that person. Thank you for everything you're doing. Oh my gosh, your podcast is great. I was crying on my walk the other day when you had the woman who is an adult donor sperm and um, uh, Melina. 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 Oh my God. Yeah. I wanted to hug her and say thank you. Yes. She's so great. Yeah. So, but. Oh my gosh. Uh, I want my girls to listen to it. I mean, it's just, so I'm so appreciative of the work you're doing. This is really, 
really important. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Erin for sharing her story with us. It's incredible. I mean, just it's amazing how things come from unexpected places in your life. And you have to be open to things even when you're not really sure you're ready to be. So I, I love that she was willing to share all that with us. And speaking of sharing, we love when people share their thoughts on us and go to iTunes and rate us or leave reviews or also share their thoughts via email. We get a lot of really great little either voice messages or, or um, emails and really do love to hear that. So if you want to call and leave us a voice message, it is 303-997-1903. And as always, always, always huge thank you to our team uh, that is just, it, we're in awe of how incredible they are every day. Uh, Amanda, Ashley, Tyler, Lexi, and of course, always, Thank you, thank you, thank you to Chris at Work at Bird Studio for making you sound incredible. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. 